Side Hustle Show 292, Free Houses, How to Build a Million Dollar Real Estate Portfolio on the Side, Even If You're Broke. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because money only follows value. Now, people have been side hustling in real estate for centuries. It can be a great way to generate passive or at least semi-passive cash flow to build wealth and to take advantage of some friendly tax codes. The drawback is it's not cheap. For a lot of people, a house is the most expensive purchase they're ever going to make. Now, at the risk of sounding like a late night infomercial, what if there was a way to get started in real estate investing without putting your limited funds at risk? Could you use other people's money? That's why I invited Austin Miller to join me on the show this week. Austin got his start in real estate at 23 years old as a side hustle, and over the last eight years has accumulated a property portfolio worth $1.2 million, and more importantly, is cash flow positive more than $3,000 a month. But the kicker is that all of these properties, we're talking about more than a dozen homes, were free, meaning he didn't have to come up with the traditional 20% down payment to buy them. Austin's the author of Free Houses, How to Build Your Real Estate Investment Portfolio with No Money. And look, he'll be the first to tell you, look, there's no free lunch, but he's consistently been able to make these deals work without a giant stockpile of his own cash. That's what we're diving into in this episode, the exact strategies Austin's used to build this empire and how you may be able to borrow those same strategies to do the same. His basic strategy is this. Find a killer deal, usually on a house that needs a lot of work. Buy it with creative financing or other people's money. Those are the strategies that we're going to get into in the call. Do the rehab work or more often hire somebody else to do the rehab work. Put a tenant in place and then refinance with traditional bank financing to pay back the original funding source and to lock in a low interest rate. And because he's bought the property well, he can do it with no money down because there is at least a 20% equity cushion that the bank requires after the rehab. The end game is positive monthly cash flow from rental income, plus building long-term wealth through having the tenants pay off his houses. You with me? I know there, there are several steps involved, but you want to keep that end game in mind. Cool? Notes and links for this one, plus a free downloadable PDF highlight reel with all of Austin's top tips are at sidehustlenation.com slash Austin. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is also brought to you by FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks makes award-winning and easy-to-use cloud accounting software that will make handling your admin and paperwork way less annoying and so much more efficient right from the get-go. It's trusted by more than 10 million customers and recommended by 97% of small business owners. So odds are you're going to like it too. Visit FreshBooks.com slash SideHustle to start your 30-day completely free trial today with no credit card required. That's FreshBooks.com slash SideHustle and enter the Side Hustle show in the How Did You Hear About Us section. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Austin after the interview. We begin this chat with a question that was at the top of my mind, which is, you know, where do you find houses at such a discount? Ready? Let's do it. A lot of people always want to know, where do you get the deals? Where do you get the deals? You'll find like in any industry, when you're in it, you've got to nose around a little bit. But the deals are out there. Are they less prevalent today because it's a hot market? Absolutely. But are there deals in every market? Yes. So to share some of the, the areas I've gotten my deals, obviously talking to bankers. What do they have? 
that they're trying to get rid of that they're foreclosing on. Talking to the real estate investors in your area, join your real estate investor group. There's all kinds of wholesalers out there that that's all they do is find deals and then they sell them to another investor for a quick buck. You know, they're the, the quick nickel over a slow dime guy. The real estate investment realtors, because there's, you know, definitely a difference between a retail realtor and an investment realtor. But then also your tax sales, your county courthouse sales, also marketing yourself. You know, you see everywhere I buy house signs and online marketing. I've gotten calls from that. So to say that there's a rainbow out there and you get to the end of it and all of a sudden you're in the you're a real estate investor, and you know where all the deals are is not indicative of reality. But, you know, one of the things I love about the side hustle nation, you guys getting out there and hustling, that's part of it. You know, you've got to submerge yourself into that industry. But once I really did and submerged myself in the content and the local real estate investors groups, and I'm sure there's a Facebook group you can join and, you know, outside of just your monthly meeting, then you start finding more and more deals and they kind of start to, to domino effect. But they're definitely out there. Is this where you're spending the majority of your side hustle hours? Like if you're working full time, 40, 50 hours a week, like this is where you're spending your couple hours in the evening is doing this, going to these meetups, talking with banks, like you know, going to the courthouse, that sort of thing? Absolutely. I go to courthouse sales just to see, you know, if I know a property's going and I know a lot of the other guys who are there to buy now. <laughs> and okay. sometimes they're like, hey, you want to buy this for <laughs> a little more than I just bought it for? I got too much going on. Yeah, I mean, even like, you guys have Penny Powers in California or Thrifty Nickels? Thrifty Nickels sounds familiar. Yeah, it's like just the little classified newspapers that they give away for free at the gas station. I found a couple deals in that before. I mean, <laughs> there's so many ways to find deals. And when you're talking banks, I imagine you're not talking like Chase, Bank of America, like, or are you? Not necessarily. No, usually I deal with small local banks for a couple reasons. One, you can talk to a decision maker quickly. You usually know, hey, who's making the decisions on your lending? And two, because they are just more personal, you know, and they're going to have a lot of the deals in your area. Because when it comes to real estate investing, the portfolio lenders, as they call them, they're going to keep all their loans in-house. They're not going to sell them to the secondary market, Fannie and Freddie. And typically people are like, well, how do you know if it's a small bank? Well, usually it's like the first bank of Austinville or, you know, Millertown community. For, <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's pretty dead giveaway in the name. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that makes some sense. Like, okay, deal, deal locally. They're more willing to not necessarily cut you a deal, but they're more willing to work with, with smaller people on like individual properties. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they have the best deals and some of the bigger banks will also have bigger formalities in, in liquidating their non-performing assets. So they may have to go through, this online sale or this realtor or whatever. I haven't dealt with a ton of big banks, but the smaller ones, I can call the guy and say, hey, do you have anything that you're wanting to sell? And he say, oh, I have a trailer in the next town over right now. And that's all I've got. But, you know, call me next month. And, you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, let's get into some of the acquisition strategies, you know, because I mean, there's a million resources out there on, you know, how to find different deals. And, and Austin just gave us, you know, a half dozen different ideas there. So let's say you find something that looks promising. It's that, you know, $100,000 house that needs some work for 50 grand, or that's the asking price, or or is that? I don't even know. We'll get into maybe that. What comes next? You say, okay, I, I want this thing. I think there's money to be made here. What comes next? 
Well, I guess it depends on what your current financial situation is. For me, the first deal that I did, I mean, I graduated college. I had very little money to my name. I knew I wanted to get into real estate investing. And my realtor at the time kind of introduced me to some hard money lenders. I had no idea what that was at the time. I was, you know, sounds kind of scary, hard money. Like almost <laughs> it like, sounds you know, like the guy who's going to like break your knuckles. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, you just send the muscle over if you don't pay. So what I came to find out was that hard money lenders were just little companies. I guess you could even call it like a little mini bank that would give a, a lend out money to invest in real estate short term. Now, the catch with that was you had to pay high interest, right? Like 14 to 18%. But from my standpoint, this hard money lender, which the one that I ended up going with from our first deal was a guy who was very well off and had like one or two admins. I mean, it was a very small company. He just had money that he was looking to make high interest on and get okay. out to investors. So then from my standpoint, it was like, well, I could either not buy any real estate or pay 14 to 18% for four months, five months tops. Uh, yeah, basically however long it takes you to rehab the property, you're not paying that for 30 year mortgage. Correct. To buy, they'll fund the purchase and the rehab. And then you go to the bank and say, hey, I need a loan on this. And so for me, it was like, you know, I've had several people be like, oh my gosh, you paid 14 to 18%. I'm like, yeah, but I got a property that cash flow is 275 bucks a month, man. And they're like, yeah, but I would never pay that. You know, so, you know, <laughs> you're, you're missing the point. Okay. Right. Right. The forest through the trees analogy. Okay. So the hard money strategy is one way to go. And so that would be, they write you the lump sum check for the acquisition costs and the closing costs and the rehab costs all up front. No, so it's a little more formal than that. It goes through a title company. <clears throat> when you have a deal under contract, they will issue a pre-approval letter, right, that they're going to fund this deal so you can use that when you're making your offers. Okay. And then when it comes time to close, they actually fund through the title company. So I never was written a check. And then we had, I don't know, a handful of construction draws, and they funded that through the title company as well. So just to keep them safe as a hard money lender, you know, it's, it's an asset backed loan. You know, so they're in first lien position on the house. It's not, if I disappear or move to Mexico or whatever, they get the house. Okay. Okay. So that, that mitigates their risk. Absolutely. Is this as simple as, you know, Googling like hard money lender Livermore, or you said you had an introduction from your agent? No, absolutely. You can Google it and there are hard money lenders all around the nation now that will lend from anywhere. But they want the deal to be sweeter. You know, they want to know that you're it's an absolute home run deal. And but as in anything, I think you're better to find someone that you can talk to locally in your area. And that's the way that I went. And over the last, you know, eight years they've become more popular online, but still I would highly recommend going through someone locally. Was that tough for you to like look this guy in the eye and being like twenty three, twenty four years old, be like, Yeah, I'm, I promise I'm gonna pay you back, sir. I never met him. I just talked to him on the phone. Okay. And that was it. My realtor, I listed him as a reference and it <laughs> it sounds kinda kinda crazy, but yeah, it was seamless. I mean, it was a very smooth process. And of course, he being a smaller company, he wanted to go out and look at the property. Because for a hard money lender, the deal itself, the house, the property, the investment is just as important as whoever you're giving the money to. Okay. 
When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Once the thing is all, once the house is all fixed up, you can go to the bank and say, hey, now I have this house. I think it's going to appraise for a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're into it 60, 70, you know, with, with your rehab costs. And so you can take out that $70,000 loan now with traditional financing from the bank because they have a greater than 80% loan to, or less than 80% loan to value. And so you can pay off the hard money lender. And now you're back to a reasonable interest, interest rate on a long-term traditional mortgage. You got it, man. That is it right there. That's the game plan. How much math are you doing beforehand to like look at rental comps and like make sure, okay, traditional financing is going to cost me this much per month. I want to make sure I can clear at least X on on rent. A good thing is I went directly with a realtor and my realtor was fantastic. He's a, a real estate investment realtor. So he knew how to help me uh, through the process of this is what the comps are going to be for what it's going to appraise out after it's, it's rehabbed. Okay. So knowing that I could then develop what my offer was going to be because I knew after looking at the house rehab costs, obviously purchase price plus rehab is going to be my only cost. And that had to be below the 80% loan to value. Are you out there swinging hammers nights and weekends or are you contracting out the work? Um, starting out, I did swing some hammers on this particular first one. It was kind of a home run deal. I found somebody to do it. So I had to do very little on this one. But there have been some, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to save the money on this one and, and do it myself. Yeah. Or <laughs> this deal's a little tight, so I'm going to do this myself. That's usually what people end up doing. It's not worth it. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you can only do so much. You know what I mean? And so someone eventually kind of told to me, like, you're limiting your business. You're limiting your potential if you're trying to do everything yourself. And it's absolutely true. Yeah. So make sure you've got enough margin in there to pay the contractor. Did you have any experience like in estimating what the rehab costs would be? It seems like that would be a big variable expense that would be, at least for me, not being handy at all, like yeah. pretty easy to mess up. Absolutely. That's that's the number one. Well, not number one. One of the major <laughs> questions I get is always, how do I know what construction is going to cost through my local real estate investor group? We had some classes on that and reading online. I mean, there are so many YouTube videos and uh, just online forums and so many areas that you can kind of get a good ballpark for. But then also, you know, it's in your contract to you have your 10 day investigation period. And in that 10 day investigation period, 
I got bids from contractors to make sure that I was right. Oh, okay. That okay. I was accurate. Because if on the first one, the hard money, I was figuring 20,000. Also, my realtor helped me with that too, you know, because he is an investor. So he's done similar properties. And that first 10 days, immediately, once a contract was accepted, I called three contractors and got bids. So once those bids came back around $20,000, uh, I was like, all right, we're golden. We're good to go. Okay. Let's move forward. Tell me about your, your networking meeting looking for private money. <laughs> yeah. So the saying within real estate investors is that hard money is good. Private money is better. I call it like the rich uncle strategy because everybody has someone in their life and it doesn't mean they're related to you, but everyone knows somebody with money, whether you know it or not, you do. And you find that out just by talking to people. I was at my friend's house and talking to his dad. And he's like, how's business? I said, oh, real estate's booming. It's going great. I just can't keep up. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm passing up so many deals that I don't have funds for. And I just need some more money if I'm going to grow to the next level. Every time, like clockwork, how much money are you looking for, Austin? I can't tell you how many times I've had that conversation. And to your point, at the, the networking, I went to a networking meeting where, you know, those are, they're great, where you can talk to other people and everybody kind of gets their 30-second elevator time. You know, you go around the room and then just networking. And I stood up, I said, hey, I'm Austin Miller. I'm a real estate investor and I'm looking for somebody with a lot of money. And I sat back down. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was looking at me, kind of laughing. I said, "Step back up." I said, "No, uh, you know, it's kind of joking, but I am serious. I'm looking for somebody that might be interested in getting into real estate because I find a lot of deals, and I can only fund so many of them. If you're interested, let's talk." So I sat down, and there was a lady that had been coming for a little while, mid fifties, average clothes, drove a pickup truck. Never in a million years would have thought that she had any large sums of cash. And she slides me a note that said, how much money are you talking about? And I wrote back uh, 50 grand minimum, preferably a hundred grand. I sent it back to her. Okay. And she wrote back, let's talk and passed the note back to me. <laughs> I was like, my mind was blown. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so hard money is good. Private money is better. What makes private money better? Uh, well, typically a uh, common saying is hard money. They set the terms, private money. You set the terms because if you're talking to somebody, they're like, hey, I have money, I want to invest. How do we do it? Then you explore those options or you present options to them. So typically the interest rate's less, you know, 7 to 10% instead of 14 to 18. Man, you can get as creative as you want. You could partner with them on the deals. You know, maybe they have the money, they just don't have the time, and they're willing to partner. And they just want, you know, 50 for 50 ownership. Maybe that's for you guys, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just 7% return on their money. That's a lot better than 14. But there's you know, different ways you can, you can work that. So that's why they say, you know, private money is better because it gives you more flexibility, especially when you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation about how do we make this work? Okay. You're, you're in the driver's seat in terms of interest and terms. Absolutely. Terms are what you make them. Now I'm curious, Austin, you got these dozen or more different properties just from a liability standpoint. Do you have like separate LLCs, separate entities for each, each of these? And talk to different people and they all have a different strategy. And some people say the maximum of five and one LLC. And okay. But all of mine are in the same LLC. So as long as we don't, talking to my attorney and accountant, as long as we don't pierce that corporate veil, as they said, and we keep it separate, we're as safe as we think that we need to be at this point. But certainly talk to your attorney about that. Definitely, I recommend don't keep them in your personal name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But beyond that, 
I'd say that's probably between you and your attorney. Is that just as, as simple as, you know, assigning the title over to the company after closing or how does that work? Yep, absolutely. That's it. Obviously, setting up another LLC is, is very simple, but uh, just keeping it in, in that LLC and something outside of your personal name. So regardless of what happens in your business, your family and your personal life will always have its assets. Okay. No, I was just curious about that because that's like I've heard different things too. Well, you got to have a separate one for each property or, you know, you just right. need some monster umbrella in policy or insurance policy yep. and you know, different different strategies. And once you get to a certain point, you know, the umbrella policy is then a good idea. But uh, I would probably uh, refer you to your insurance agent. I'm just dodging them here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, the umbrella policy for sure once you get to a certain level. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. All right. Tell me about buying the house with the credit card. I think this is crazy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, you tell people you bought a house with a credit card and they kind of look at you like you have three heads, you know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, wait, what? So I was researching ways to get funding and I came across balance transfer checks. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but essentially credit card companies used to do this a lot, but they will send you a balance transfer check, which is a check that can be written out for whatever your credit limit is. You know, if you have a $10,000 credit limit on a credit card, you can write a check up to 10 grand. But, you know, they have terms that are a little bit different than what your typical interest rates are on your card, on your credit card. So I've got like five credit cards. I love credit cards. They're a tool that can be, it's kind of like fire. You know, fire can be used to cook your food, heat your house, or it can be used to burn your house down as long as you use it correctly, you know? Yeah, treat them with respect. Yeah, treat them with respect. So I just started getting my credit cards out and flipping them over and calling the number on the back. And the first one I called and I said, you know, hey, do you guys offer balance transfer checks? And I said, nope, sorry, sir. I said, okay, pulled out the next credit card. Called the number on the back. I said, hello, do you guys offer balance transfer checks? They said, yes. I said, tell me about the terms. It was about 6% annually. And then after the first year, it went up to like 12%. And, you know, it wasn't a bad gig, but it wasn't great. You know, I could find something that good through my private money, you know. And so the third one I called, I, I called him and I said, hey, call him to see if you guys offer balance transfer checks. Yes, we do. Uh, what would you like to know? And I said, well, what's the interest rate? And she said, 0% for the first year. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you're loaning money at 0%. I just want to make sure I heard that. She said, yeah, that's right. I said, okay, uh, what other fees are there? And she said, there's a, a funding fee one time. And I said, oh, okay, great. What's that? She said, $75. 
Okay, I, said, I can I can live with that. <laughs> so I said, you're going to loan me the full balance of my credit card limit for $0 a month, a 0% interest. She said, well, you have to pay the monthly minimum, which is $275. And I said, well, but that goes directly to principal. She said, that's correct. Okay. I said, send me as many balance transfer checks as you want to <laughs> <laughs> right now. Send them over. From that point, I think my, my credit card limit was only like $12,000. Yeah, that was the next thing. It's like, well, at least for me, like my credit card limit, I think the most that I have is like twenty five grand. It's like still going to be tough to find something in that ballpark. Sure. It took me the minute-long phone call to get a 0% interest loan. And then I said, can I increase my balance? And she said, well, let me transfer you. And I transferred me over and I said, can I help you? I said, I would like to increase my credit limit to $20,000. 30 seconds of questions. You know, what's your household income and, you know, debts and that type of thing. She came back, put me on a brief hold and said, "Uh, sir, we can't increase your limit to $20,000. Okay. She said, but we can increase it to 16,000. I said, okay, cool. I should have asked for something, you know, (laughs) should have shot even higher, but you know, so at that point I had $16,000 at 0% as a source of funding. Now, as you said, yours may only be 25,000 and that's going to vary from person to person, but that's a large sum of money to, you know, for 0% interest. And so at that point, I was like, man, I've I've got some cash here now at 0%. I've got to find a deal. So I actually called up a wholesaler in my area who I bought a property from before. And I said, what do you got? And he said, well, I just got one. $14,000 needs $20,000 worth of work. I said, okay, I'm going to go look. So I went over and looked and it was needed like a complete gut. Like $20,000 was not even close. You know, it was going to be 50 to 60. And, uh, I got to looking at it and and long story short, I got it under contract for $12,000 because I knew it would appraise about 80,000 and it needed about 50,000. And geez, you just bulldoze it at that point? Well, it had a new roof, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Don't want to waste the roof. Okay. (laughs) And on the properties that, that do need complete renovations, I always like to see something, you know, maybe it's, new windows or, or new siding or new roof or insulation or something, but just so I'm not starting at, at bare bones, you know, or maybe it's already demoed, a, a prehab as they call it. Okay. You know, you can spend five grand demoing out a house. So I put it under contract. And so I got this, this balance transfer check. Right. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to like go to the title company and give them balance transfer check you know they kind of look like monopoly money or something yeah something from like capital one or whatever yeah (laughs) so i go to the bank and i make this check from myself out to myself for 12 grand i send it up to the pneumatic tube system you know the nice little teller girl she's like hey how's it going hey good just make a deposit she's smiling she looks down the balance transfer check and she looks up at me with this face that went from smile. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, what in the world is this? And she looks down at it, looks back up at me. I mean, just blank face. And then I look at her and she calls over like a manager or something. And before long, there's like four or five people huddled around this balance transfer check, <laughs> shooting me nasty glares and looking at me. And I'm like out there like Spicoli, like smiling and waving, you know. And uh, eventually the manager comes on. He's like, sir, we can't deposit this. I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, sir, this is a, a balance transfer check made out from you to you. I understand. I said, I've got a large 
substantial purchase coming up and I need some funds. So we can't do this. I said, sir, your, your bank's name is on the check. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? I don't understand. He said, well, we're not, we can't do it. So after a couple exchanges, you know, choice words, I was like, wow, now I'm really in a toughie here. So that was a large bank. I went over again to my community bank, thought maybe I'll have more luck here. Went through the line, same process. The teller girl, hey, how's it going? She gets the check and then she stops smiling and she looks up at me through the window like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? So same thing, calls over the manager and the manager comes up to the microphone. He said, sir, this is a balance transfer check. And I said, yeah. He said, uh, we can deposit, but we got to put a three-day hold on it. I said, that's beautiful. Works for me and drove off and that was it. So it just goes to show, you know, I say that I'm a creative financing real estate investor and when you're doing things that most people haven't heard before, they either try to tell you you can't do it or they look at you like you're crazy, but it's perfectly doable. You just have to kind of find those little ways of, of doing things that aren't typical. And when you, you, know, you open yourself to, if you're willing to do something that's non-traditional, you open so many doors. So that one got you the keys to the house, but then what'd you do for the 50 grand rehab? Yeah. So on that one, I didn't have any private or hard money. I went to the bank and I said, I've got this house without a lien. So will you loan me the construction money? And they said, yes. So the bank lended me the money for the construction. Is that common? Yeah, absolutely. If it's private money, you've got it and you can run it through a title company or not, you know, whatever you do. If you're not running through a title company and get lien waivers signed by all your subs, but obviously with a bank, it's more formal submit a draw on the 1st and the 15th and have all your receipts and have a lien waiver sign and that type of thing. And that's just to make sure that you're spending the money on what you said you were going to spend the money on. Absolutely. Ever had a deal go backwards, blow up in your face, something horrible happen? I'm sure. Oh, man, you know, it, this business is, is crazy. Real, real estate in general is crazy. You know, I've had some that have went over budget. I'm not going to lie. And so then you have to come out of pocket. You know, if you budget 50 grand, it takes 55, then you come out of pocket. But at the end of the day, you do several deals and some are over, some are under, and it pretty much it balances out. Um, I'm trying to think if I have any, any horror stories. Um, I, I can't think of any, you know, you minimize your risk and, and just protect your downside and usually you're, you're okay. But no, I haven't had any, any that are just crazy. <laughs> I wish I had something juicy. And what's the end game? So the end game right now is like, hey, we've got, you know, all of these houses and, and units that are spinning off positive cash flow every month. I mean, that's awesome. And and somebody else is paying down your, your mortgage. So eventually you'll have this, you know, portfolio of assets that you'll own free and clear. What's next? Where are you, where are you taking this thing? You pretty much spelled out the end game. And I remember, you know, being 12 years old and, and for the first time realizing a family friend had, was building duplexes. And I asked my mom, I said, so he's building them and people are moving in there and paying them off for him. The innocence of a child. I was thinking, why doesn't everybody do that? You know, like <laughs> it's just so simple. But that is absolutely the end game is to keep acquiring homes. And I don't know if it's just the competitive part in me or what. But I kind of want to start getting into a next level. Maybe it's multi-units or storage units or, or vacation rentals or something. But the humble side of me is saying, no, Austin, keep, you've got a system. Keep doing what you're doing. You know, 
so for the meantime, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and, and praying about where I'm going to go next and, and see where that takes me. Are you still working full time? Well, I work for myself. You know, I built houses. I've got a vision board in front of me and, and it says, be a successful builder to create income and time freedom because I'm my own boss. So if I have to do something with the real estate hustle, I can, you know, if I got to check on something or, or whatnot. But there are a lot of ways to make a living in real estate, wholesaling, sales, flipping. But to me, real estate is the avenue to build passive income, you know, generate cash flow. Yeah, it's working for you. So what's the, do you have an estimate of how many hours you're spending on the investment side versus the, versus the building business? I probably spend, man, I don't know, five to eight hours a week on the, on the uh, investment side. Okay. You know, that's between sourcing new deals and kind of dealing with tenants and other stuff. Yep. Yep. And in the beginning I would come home from work. This is when I had a corporate job and I would work like five to seven every night, just educating and finding deals and just learning, being a student of the game. So that was like every night, a couple hours, but now I can fit it into my daily schedule to where I'm, if I have to do something at night, of course I have to every now and then, but if not, I can squeeze it in and, uh, or just do emails from home or whatever, you know? Well, very inspiring stuff. I'm, I'm excited. Check out the book called Free Houses. You can find it on Amazon. I'll link it up for you in the show notes as well. But I, I think you'll like it. And if you want to check out Austin's investor site, hickoryhomebuyers.com is where you can find that. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Nick, in today's world, the word entrepreneur is so overused. It's so so sexy, you know, it's such a buzzword. And you're someone that I admire for that and being successful at that. And I think that people get caught up in that sometimes. And I, I don't really consider myself an entrepreneur, but more of just being a doer, you know, somebody who's not afraid to take action. And I don't think we have to be Mark Cuban to make it in real estate. And that's why I love it so much about it is, you know, just go out and do a house, just go out and do one. My first goal, my first year was I'm going to do one. And I did. So just be a doer. Don't be afraid to take that first step. And if you want to get into something, don't let anything stop you. Just get out there and work it. Take a lot more pride in being someone that is a hard worker that gets things done than somebody who's an entrepreneur. Yeah, I really I really like that one. Be a doer. Don't be afraid to take action because everybody starts as a beginner. I mean, you didn't know how to build this portfolio when you're starting out. And now, you know, eight years later, here you go. It all starts with the first deal. So Austin, really appreciate you you joining me and reaching out with this story. Cool stuff. Nick, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, man. All right, my top takeaways from this call with Austin. Number one is deals first. At the top of the show, I said money only follows value. The first bit of value Austin is generating in this business is sourcing profitable deals. That's where it starts. Remember, his goal uh, starting out was just to do one, to prove to himself he could do it. And of course, the numbers he's thrown around maybe sound a little bit different than your local market, but I think the strategy multiplies. You just might need to find double or triple or, or 10x the money, but if you can find the deals, the money will follow that value. And it's almost like you're paying with your time spent in hunting for them. Uh, think of it like this, you know, just like when you're shopping at the store, you know, most purchases are made at retail price, the going rate, the, the sticker price, right? But every now and again, there's 
a clearance sale or a garage sale or an estate sale where stuff might be deeply discounted to the point where there's room to make a profit. And I've seen this firsthand with my experiments with the Amazon FBA clearance arbitrage stuff. I heard about it on a podcast. I was skeptical, but then I went out and did it and turned into a believer. So deals first. That's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is to get creative. Now, Austin gave you a bunch of different ways to potentially make a deal happen, but those definitely aren't the only plays in your playbook. Sometimes you got to get creative. And I think that's where a side hustler or an entrepreneurial mindset can do really well in this game because we're used to bootstrapping and finding creative ways to make something happen. I don't have a real estate example for this, I don't think, but there was a conference I wanted to go to a few years ago and didn't want to front the thousand dollar ticket price. So I told them about my blog and I asked if they had any media passes. It took a couple of emails, but I got to go for free. So that's takeaway number two, get creative. Takeaway number three is to protect yourself. Lots can go wrong in real estate. And so you want to make sure you're protected financially and legally. We touched on this a little bit with Austin's entity structuring and insurance discussion, but also in how he uses his contract grace period to schedule contractor bids. If your estimates on repairs are out of whack, like that gives you an escape clause. Or you can go back to the seller and use that new information to maybe negotiate a better price. I owned a rental property back in the day. It was really one of those side hustles where it was better to be lucky than good. And I had to exercise a clause in the lease to get out of that house, thankfully, uh, just in time or a couple years at least before uh, the market crashed. But what do you think? Do you think you could use Austin's free houses strategy? Let me know in the comments at sidehustlenation.com slash Austin. While you're there, make sure to download the free PDF highlight reel with all of Austin's top tips from the call. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to The Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com.